Thank you guys for joining us today at Zoe Community Church. Thank you, Jesse, for that introduction. So um, I want to welcome you all, especially if you are new or visiting for the first time. My name is Vin, as uh, Jesse had just shared, and I'm one of the lay elders in training here at Zoe. And um, my wife is Lita. We have four children, three boys and a girl. And uh, just a little bit about myself, so you guys are aware, I originally grew up in California, but I moved away for graduate school in to go to Louisiana and Alabama. And um, after my time there in 2015, our family decided to move to Dallas, and we have loved it ever since. So, you know, if you're attending here on Sundays regularly, um, one of the things that you know is that we've been in First and Second Samuel. But um, today we'll be taking a break to look at a passage in Ephesians, if you can turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This is the word of the Lord. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that reminds us, Father, of how we were lost and dead in our sin, but Lord, we've been made alive, united together with you through the power of your Son who was sacrifice on the cross for our sin, and that, Lord, we, as we look today, we are united to one another in fellowship through your church as one body, Lord. We pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, Father, to see these truths, that we would be stirred to put them into practice, Father, that we would grow up in our faith, that, Lord, we would become your children to the maturity of our faith, by the power of Christ. We thank you, Father, for this time, Lord. I even I pray for myself and those who are here, Lord, that we would attune ourselves to your word and what it means, Father, that we would live faithfully as your children with one another. Lord, be with us as we open your word today. We thank you and lift these things up in your son's name. Amen. So when I lived in Alabama because the state doesn't have a professional sports team. See, college football is king. Because they're good, everyone cheers for the Alabama Crimson Tide. See, I remember watching an interaction with their coach, Nick Saban, and a reporter who was baffled and kind of confused by something that happened in the middle of a game. See, the reporter asked, you had a chance to score, but you decided to run the same three plays in a row, even though it didn't work two times before. See, everyone kind of understands, right? If something isn't working, you got to change things up, right? Come up with a new play. If you're sensible, you would do something different. But you see, for some reason, Coach Saban's response stuck with me, and this is what he said. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. And he said this, you saw the same play not work because we didn't score. I think a better question I think you should ask yourself is why wasn't that play executed correctly three times? 
See, maybe we would have scored, maybe we wouldn't have. But those 11 players didn't do what they were supposed to do. You see, the coach here, not scoring wasn't the problem, but rather his players failed to live up to the expectation and standards of their team. See, friends, let's take a moment to look at this from the spiritual level. As believers, how has our salvation motivated you to produce Christ-likeness in the church? Since we haven't been in Ephesians for a few years, I think it'd be good to kind of summarize a few points. See, the book of Ephesians can be divided into two parts. Chapters 1 through 3 is doctrine, and chapters 4 through 6 is application. Now, this isn't to say that each section only is strictly doctrine without application, or that the other part is application without doctrine. But these are the primary focuses of this sections. See, here Paul is reminding the believers that what they know should bear weight on their lives. It isn't enough that we should know these great truths, but that by knowing them, it ought to instill in us a response, an action, an effect on our lives. See, specifically, the church body is made one in Christ because of our salvation. See, previously, Paul reminds them that they were once separated from God and divided amongst themselves. But by the blood of Christ, we have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. See, Paul declares, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow saints and members of the household of God. See, as the church grew, Paul's letter was meant to be an exhortation of how to visibly show Christ in the context of our community. You see, for our passage today, I want to look at how a commitment to spiritual maturity will preserve our unity. A commitment to spiritual maturity preserves unity. We have three points, the call, the characteristic, and the commitment. All right, the first point, the call. Look at verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. See, the the passage comes at an important junction with the word therefore. Right, this conjunction moves us from doctrine to duty, from our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with other believers. See, the idea here is of our justification, God's work of faith, and our sanctification, our walk of faith. Both of these are married together. If sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ, then the impetus for our action is grounded in what God has done. See, this is not changing our behavior, but rather being who we are in Christ. Paul urges the believers to walk worthy, and the word walk here means our life, our conduct. The worthy walk starts with the call, and this call is our salvation through Jesus Christ. Right? The word for worthy is axios. That's the Greek word, which has its idea in an axis or a scale being equal in weight or balance. And if you were to think of this as an equation, meaning that both sides must equal one another, right? The weight that goes in must equal the weight that goes out. So that is the idea here, right? 
The word worthy amplifies the purpose of why we live. Particularly, the way we live should be equal in weight with who we are in Christ. So as believers, we must walk worthy of this calling. We're calling it, as believers, we're to walk worthy of the calling we have received as members of God's family. If what we know is valuable or important or means something to us, our response ought to be fitting. Right? For instance, think about your graduation day. For those who are a couple, your engagement day, or the day your first child was born. These are moments that invoke a response of joy or gratitude, and this fits the situation. You see, for me, fatherhood is a high calling and something I really enjoy. Um, Like I told you earlier, we have four children, and people ask me sometimes, you know, what's it like to have four kids, right? And I, I think often of what this comedian says, he himself having five kids, and this is what he says. You know, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you this crying baby, right? (laughs) All right, so this is, you know, a little silly. But what I think he's getting at here is that being a father can sometimes be overwhelming. You know, it's hard. But the thing is, when my first son was born, there was a sense of all and joy in our family. See, I was four hours away on a rotation in Florida when I got a call from my wife around one in the morning, she said, hey, you got to come back to Alabama. We got to go to the hospital. Now, the weeks before and leading up to this day, I read books. I went to workshops. I was seeking the advice of other brothers in the church, other fathers in the church. But you see, here's the thing. In all my preparation, just knowing about being a dad didn't actually make me a dad. I became a dad when Josiah, my firstborn son, was born. This meant that things changed and I needed to step up. I needed to mature. I try not to think about this sometimes, you know, if the kids are crying too in the morning, right? Uh, Maybe my wife can handle it, but this is the idea, right? In fatherhood, there is a weight to who I am that needs to be matched by my actions, right? To be honest, When I think about it, I don't always do this perfectly. And I know that I need help. See, the help I need comes from our Heavenly Father who is perfect. So what? See, it's the same way for us in our Christian lives. See, in Christianity, there is a weight to who we are that needs to be matched by our actions. See, one of the common things I hear today is that we're busy. I heard this a lot when I'm in college, and the same goes as we... Uh, it doesn't really matter how old you are, right? We load our plates with so many things that we leave little room for devotion with God and fellowship with one another, right? Don't misunderstand me. Many of you may balance this well, and you're doing a lot of great things, and we thank you. But what I'm getting at here is that our identity is tied up in so many things, right? As a result, many of things vie for our time, our effort, our energy, and we forget who we are in Christ. See, consequently, instead of increasing in Christ-likeness, we we begin to rely on the power of our own strength. See, as a result, this isn't living in light of what's true about who we are. The worthy walk Paul is talking about is not living a Christian life by the power of our own strength, but by living out our identity as a child of God. To walk worthy of the call 
is to spiritually mature in light of our salvation. This is the proper response. This leads us to our second point, the characteristics of a worthy walk. Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So we're going to take a moment here to kind of zoom out, sorry, to zoom in and to look at the characteristics that make up this worthy walk. Paul writes this section not to individuals, but rather to a group of believers that are living with one another. If we're to walk according to our call, then we are called to be conformed to the image of Christ, which is in Romans 8. So because we are to walk in community and we're to conform to the image of Christ, this means that we are to become more like Christ in our relationships with one another. The first characteristic of a worthy walk is humility. Humility. The idea of humility was just not looked upon highly during this time. It was considered a foreign concept to the Roman world. Right? People looked at this idea and thought, why would I want to be like that? Right? The idea of lowliness was diametrically opposed to the worldview in Ephesus because of their self-assertive culture. See, the opposite of humility is pride. The issue with the prideful is that it elevates self over others. On pride, C.S. Lewis tells us this. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having it more than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. See, once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. See, Lewis is highlighting an issue that makes pride in others so hard to be around. Pride puts down as opposed to bringing up. See, by contrast, the humble person is one that thinks of others before self. Humility rightly allows us to see ourselves as we are before God. We are sinners saved only by God's grace, not only by our merits or our efforts. It's for this reason that humility must be the key ingredient for all of our spiritual blessings. Just as pride is the root of strife in our relationships, humility is the root that, cre- that creates harmony and the building up of our relationships. See, a worthy walk with one another must look different from the world because it's rooted in our humble need for Christ. To walk in equal balance of our salvation, we must walk in humbleness to build others up. The second characteristic of a worthy walk is gentleness. Gentleness. If we're to walk according to our call, we're to walk in gentleness with one another. Humility is an inward disposition that is manifested outwardly in gentleness. See, humility is an inward disposition that is manifested outwardly in gentleness. Remember, gentleness is not simply a personality trait, although that might be the disposition of some, but rather it's a fruit of the Spirit. Right? The meaning of gentleness sometimes is translated as timid or a lack of courage, but this doesn't really convey the idea well. 
See, rather, the Greek word refers to self-controlled or a mild spirit. The phrase gentleness in the Ephesian culture was primarily a livestock term or an agrarian farming term, meaning strength that is controlled. For example, this could be a horse that still has its strength, but is controlled by its master for a purpose. See, spiritually, this gentleness and strength can be used for the building up of the body. This is especially important for someone who needs to be called back into fellowship. See, maybe some of you are thinking of someone now who's slowly drifting. Maybe they're slowly removing themselves from fellowship with one another. In Galatians 6.1, it tells us, we are to go and confront this brother in the spirit of gentleness. When we walk in gentleness for the good of one another, this is walking worthy of our call. The third characteristic of the worthy walk is being patient with one another. Humility and gentleness give birth to patience. Right? The original meaning conveys the idea of long-suffering or steadfastness or having the long view in mind. In the context of the body of believers, this means enduring some immaturity of a fellow brother or sister over a period of time. Right? There's an allowance that we are to give others for their shortcomings. This allowance allows us not only to this allowance allows us not to overflow in anger or rage. But one of the ways you can be patient and have allowance for one another is remembering where you once were. See, when I was a young believer, I remember being excited and about my faith. And, but when I think about it, my life maybe didn't visibly reflect this. So one year for my birthday, a friend of mine gave me a book entitled Improving Your Serve. You know, and after asking them how they got this kind of recommendation, I was, I was interested. My friend's response was, well, you know, you're growing a lot, but hopefully this actually helps you to serve in the church. You see, in that moment, I realized my walk was out of proportion. All I cared about was coming on Sundays and what the church could do for me. I was a consumer with a consumer-minded mentality, and I knew a lot of things, but I just didn't care to serve the church. During this time, these brothers and sisters, they were patient with me. Although they saw my immaturity better than I did, in their long-suffering or patience, they found a way to encourage me. And when we encounter, when we encounter an immature brother or sister, think about God's patience in your life and the patience that others have extended to you. See, as members of the body, we need to practice patience because growing takes time. This leads us to our fourth characteristic of a worthy walk, which is bearing with one another, or as some translations, forbearance. Bearing with one another is the practical expression of patience. See, the phrase bearing up means putting up with or to lift up or to support. The idea here is that we would lift up or support a member of the body that is struggling during periods of weakness or failure. See, recently, uh, because of the droughts, I was uh, kind of daydreaming uh, a, a little bit um, in, in hopes of taking my kids one day to California to see the redwoods, right? These are the giant trees, 
And kind of looking into it, I found that it was interesting that these, gre- these trees that grow so big, they don't actually have deep roots, but rather they have shallow roots. So let me ask you this, right? How is it that this tree can grow so tall, weigh hundreds of tons and live for centuries and remain so strong with such shallow roots? Let me read something from the state parks, right? And this is what it says. All this magnificence in height, and yet a typical redwood's root system is only 6 to 12 feet deep. Redwoods create the strength to withstand powerful winds and floods by extending their roots outwards up to 100 feet wide from the trunk and living in groves where their roots intertwine. See, a redwood can't grow to be the tallest tree on earth alone. It needs the support and protection of other trees in the forest to grow tall. See, for this reason, redwoods usually grow in clusters or groups. They're never alone. Likewise, the body of believers need to do the same. See, in adversity, we can't be alone in our weakness or struggle. We need to hold each other up. Our worthy walk is balanced when we hold up one another to greater faith. The last characteristic of our worthy walk is love. See, the word for love is agape, which means giving without expectation. If we're to become mature in our faith, Paul tells us how to live in a specific way within the family of God. We do this by displaying the love that we share in Christ. See, love works in harmony with humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another as we live in community. To love others, we need the divine strength that comes only from the love of Christ. The love of God is displayed greatly in the acts of forgiveness for our sins by the blood of Christ. So we also need to seek to demonstrate this same love to others. So how do we look at these together? In 2015, we moved here from Alabama, and one of the deciding factors for our family when we moved here was that Dallas had an in and out right? Some of you can share the sentiment as Californians, right? This was one of the comforts of home that I missed when I first moved away in 2006, right? The menu, it's rather simple. You know, the one thing that makes it great is that the burger is consistent, Right? The sum of its parts, you can probably think of it now in your mind, is that there's the patty, the melted cheese, the tomato, the lettuce, and the toasted buns are all put together in a way that create that familiarity that makes it memorable or nostalgic. Now, to my surprise, when we moved here, and one of my first interactions with Pastor James and Matt was hearing them lament that the In-N-Out burger here just tasted different. Now, I was thinking, I'm not sure how they can tell something like that, right? And so full disclosure, I'm thinking back, I probably went and tried to taste it, and I, didn't, I couldn't tell the difference, okay? But see, to them, something about the sum of these parts just didn't add up. Mainly the bun or the toasting of the bun. They just couldn't figure it out. And to their credit and to solve this mystery... In June of 2018, and you can look this up yourself, right? In-N-Out announced that all their stores would close for two days because their buns were not the normal, high-quality buns that they usually served. 
Congratulations, Matt and James. You guys solved the mystery. But let me ask you this, okay? Can an outsider look at our interaction with one another and say, well, something just isn't right? See, these characteristics must all go together. You can't have just one without the others. When one part is out of sync, it distorts the testimony of the church and the unity that we have in Christ. See, the sum of the characteristics, humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love must be applied throughout our community. So let me ask you this, right? In our relationships, how are we exhibiting Christ-likeness in our families, in our work, our relationships, and especially here at church? Right? And this leads us to our third point. This leads us to the commitment, the commitment of the worthy walk. As we look at this last point, Paul is adding one last encouragement on top of the characteristics we just learned and that is to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. See, the word eager conveys the idea of urgency and diligence and priority. Now, if some of you are runners, and, or maybe some of you who work out, you can relate here, uh, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is from my experience. Once you decide to run past a certain distance, not just around the block, right? There's a measure of commitment that you need so that you can build up and run towards your goal. See, I remember feeling this way after I signed up for a race, right? There's a sense of urgency, especially if you're counting the days left until the actual race. See, some of you might feel this way. If you skip or miss a day, there's a sense that you lost all of your gains or your momentum, But when you set things as a priority or a commitment, there's an eagerness and an effort that we put in. See, from our text, it's interesting here that Paul uses the phrase maintain instead of creating or building in regards to unity. See, Christians are called to maintain unity because we've been given, because it has been given to us by the power of the Spirit when we were saved. See, that is our calling. We don't create unity. We're to be eager to maintain it. So how is this done? We're to continuously grow in humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. See, when we grow up in these qualities, this is the bond of peace. What Paul is saying here is that peace is the glue that holds our unity together. We need to grow up in these qualities because this leads to peace. See, Paul states this in a parallel passage in Colossians by listing these qualities, and he says this, Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Here we are encouraged, friends, to let the truth of what Christ has done rule your hearts. See, when these qualities are practiced in the context of the church, these characteristics function as the peace that holds our unity together. This is our spiritual maturity and our increasing in Christ's 
likeness. I like to lean on Tozer as he shares this illustration of what it means to be unified. And this is what it says. And this is what he says. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard by which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they just to become unity conscious or closer in fellowship. See, what Tozer is alluding to here is that the posture of our hearts are more unified when we are focused on Christ rather than just simply coming together. For all of us, it's our responsibility to preserve the unity of the Spirit because we should desire the universe, because we should desire the peace that was extended to us in Christ. See, from my experience and many of yours, we understand that maintaining relationships require effort. No one is perfect, so there's always little things to disagree about. And to be honest, we can't do this on our own strength, but we must do this by the power of the Spirit. In fact, there are times and circumstances that test us even greater, and we need to pray. We need to pray just as Christ prayed for our unity in John 17. We need to come to the Lord and humbly ask him to show us our pride or our sin in order to restore the peace. See, unity is an important part of church life. See, the life of the church is vibrant in building one another up when we are unified together. Unity brings honor to God's name because the church is the visible expression of reconciliation and forgiveness. Peace must be our priority if we're to maintain unity. And we'll do this by remembering the great cost of the peace that we have in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. How is your walk this week? Are we progressing towards Christ's likeness? Has there been an urgency or calling in Christ on your mind? Or rather, have you found joy and peace apart from God? Right? Are you walking by faith in the power of the Spirit? Or are you just walking by the trust of your own strength? In our relationships, have we grounded ourselves in humility of Christ? Or has an argument or disagreement allowed our pride to rule our hearts? Friends, look around. Is there someone here needing encouragement due to sickness or family issues, a job situation? How is it that we can bear with one another in love? See, husband and wives, are we being diligent to maintain the peace? Or fathers and mothers, how can we show patience to one another and to our children? Is there a wayward brother or sister who needs gentle encouragement? Maybe you are this brother or sister who needs humbling yourself. 
Friends, if there's something here today as we're gathered, pricking at your heart, inducing a thought that is heavenly, if your mind is drawn to the Lord, my encouragement is to not take it lightly. Friends, we must turn to God in faith for strength to do these things. We can't do it alone. We must grow up in our faith and reflect Christ in our communities because that is how the world will see Christ. We'll close with this. See, in 2007, this Alabama football team in Nick Saban's first year went 7-6, and six, okay? That's if that's 50%. That's very mediocre. And they didn't really accomplish much. Now, despite such a mediocre and um, uh, record, his players eventually understood what he was trying to accomplish and bought into this system. See, eventually their posture changed and the team grew. The, chi- the team became mature. They were united under what the goal was. So that by his third year, Alabama, the team won the national championship going undefeated and until this day is still a very good team. Now, to many people, the Alabama football team is the gold standard of their commitment to excellence. But let me ask you this, right? How much greater is our need to grow up in our faith? How much greater should our commitment be to Christ? The worthy walk is not simply changing our behavior, but that we are being who we are called by the power of the Spirit. We're not just members of an organization over God's children, so we must act like God's children. We are to grow up to spiritual maturity, and this is the maturity that will preserve the unity. See, this is a high calling that we have, and we can't do this on our own, but only by the power of the Spirit. Look, it's not if, but when we face opposition and trials as we walk together in our struggle, we need to know that God hears us. Right, Scripture bears witness to this time and time again as God's faithfulness to his people. We must turn to him in faith. See, that is the weight of our walk. We are God's church and his people, and it is through his church and in our relationships that he is accomplishing his purpose. He is the one sanctifying us and growing us, and he desires unity among his people. And because of this, and even in our struggle, we can have confidence that he'll preserve us till the end. See, God cares about our walk. So we need to walk worthy of this call that we've been given. Let's pray. Lord, we... We praise you for being the God of the universe. That you show us, Father, by sending your Son, that we can have a right relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that as we take these truths in, Father, that you would help us to grow, to become fruitful in our lives, especially in the church with our brothers and sisters, Lord, help us to mature in our faith. We ask, Father, that you would help us to maintain these things and to grow, Lord, that we would think of you often. 
We pray, Father, that you would help us in our time of need to build up one another for your glory, Lord, that the world may see that you are a great God. We thank you. We lift these things up in your son's name. Amen.